I got to say this before we get into the message. Uh, I, can't, I can hardly believe I'm standing here. Uh, the first time I came down here, 2005, I believe, uh, the singing, I thought the roof was just going to fly. It was wonderful. Uh, it is wonderful. And really, truly, aptly named Hope Baptist Church, the hope lives on. The blessing of God is still here. And uh, we gladly make the trip, uh, 10, 11, 12-hour trip, whatever it is, to be here and to be with old-time friends that have been serving God over all these years. So I love you all. Thank you all. Um, I just can hardly believe it. Uh, before I get into the message also, uh, I just want to say hello to my church back home in Montreal, Hope Baptist Church. I partly named it that because of this church here, to have a vision to replicate something like this where we are up in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, if you can please pray for us. You know, that's in North America, the least evangelized field is Quebec. It's often forgotten. Um, one of the things, if you'll allow me, I want to just put in a plug, but it's actually more, of, more than a plug. It's, a, it's asking for help. Okay? This is my, that was my doctoral thesis on the book of Daniel. Um, and uh, the uh, aim is to publish it as a book, and it can be, serve as an academic textbook in Bible-believing uh, Bible institutes and seminaries. And uh, what I've aimed to do, by God's grace, is to write it in a scholarly fashion as best I can. There's over a thousand references in there. I've read the source material. I wrote it like you would read the books of the, you know, the big shots in the universities. And uh, my hope is that the things we believe about our Bible, that we would have a Bible-believing commentary. I know we already have one in, uh, in some preachers, God bless them. But uh, my aim was a little bit more academic. And the idea is that so we can get into circles outside our own, so people can give us a chance to listen to what we have to say, because a lot of times they just dismiss us because we're not scholarly. And sometimes maybe we're guilty of looking down our noses a little bit on scholasticism and academia, but you know what? Somebody's got to do that too, right? Uh, the young men, Daniel and the three Hebrew children, got a chance to stand before Nebuchadnezzar and affect the world because first they were men understanding science to begin with. So that is my emphasis. Everybody's got their own emphasis. I fully understand that. Uh, it is being proofread by a brother, Guillermo Alvarez in California. But we're looking, I'm not sure this is my first book. I already have the copyright, but I don't know if editing comes first or proofreading. Uh, those are technical aspects. So if you have experience in that field and uh, you'd like to help, I would gladly pay you, okay? This is not, I'm not asking you to do this free of charge. Brother Gip says, if you yourself will not invest in your own work, Nobody else is going to invest in it, and I believe that. Okay, so if you want to peruse them, they'll be just come and ask me. I've got two copies here. And now, without further ado, let's get into the Word of God, which is what we're here for. Psalm 116. Psalm 116. If you open your Bibles, usually smack in the middle of your Bible, you'll land on the book of Psalms. Psalm 116. What a wonderful thing that the longest... Book in your Bible is a book of hymns and songs. You know, our God is a God of joy and rejoicing. Psalm 116, it's also the longest book on comfort. Uh, evidently, the Lord must have thought we are going to need a lot of comfort. So he wrote the longest book on the Bible about comfort. So you can, hey, I'll take comforting messages as much as I can, right? As many as I can. So look here in Psalm 116. And there's the deliverance of God there in verse 1 of Psalm 116, verse 1. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. 
because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Think about before you got saved. And sometimes after, we're going to see that. Then called I, verse 4, upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you got saved. You tasted the grace of God. In verse 5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. For the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. You got saved. If you believed on Jesus Christ, that is, that his blood is a payment for your sins and his resurrection the third day. You got saved. And then, and then God began to give you some direction for your life if you've been saved a little bit. And that's in verse 9. After the deliverance comes some direction. He says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of of the living. God had told Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect, right? So there's some direction there about your Christian walk. And part of walking perfectly with God is a dissemination. Part of walking in that direction of God is dissemination, which is preaching the seed, preaching the word of God, sowing the seed. We've been hearing a few messages about just that. And so that's why in verse 10, he says, I believed, therefore have I spoken. A verse that Paul himself quotes in, in Romans saying, listen, I'm speaking because I believe this. And uh, if you believe it, speak it. I believe, therefore have I spoken. Tell the world about it if you've believed it. It's, it's, um, it's a wonderful thing, you know. So he's got the deliverance. The sister got saved. The brother got saved. He's got direction. And he's uh, preaching. And he's coming to church. And um, I'll tell you, it's the best church ever. Because he just got saved. The people all around you are the best people ever. This is the best pastor ever. I can't believe this place even existed. I could never have imagined. I don't know if you remember that feeling, some of you, but you ever got that feeling when you walked into church and you were newly saved or had recently repented and you feel like you're not worthy of being there amongst those people? Like, this is a different class of people. I don't know what I'm doing here, man. I didn't know people like this existed. And you're just... You're just in awe because they're just beautiful. I, I, I remember my, I got my first hug, I mean, a hug, not more than a hug, at a church. You know, and I was like, wow, I, I didn't know people do that. They, they barely knew me, you know. That was fantastic. Those are, those are angels. It's just the greatest place I ever, I ever saw in my life. And you're walking with God and you're enjoying it and you're telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ and... And then in verse 10, the second half, he says, I believe, therefore have I spoken. And then I was greatly afflicted. You know what that is? It's, everything is going great. I got the Christian life. This is awesome. And then one day, shock, you get the slap right across the face that comes out of nowhere. And it takes you a little bit of time to figure out, what, uh, I, I don't know what just happened. Out of the blue, I thought this wasn't supposed to happen. You were afflicted. I mean, this is affliction. It's not a small word. This is, you really got hurt. Somehow, he doesn't say what it is. But if you've ever been walking with the Lord, you know that's exactly what happens sometimes. I think 
Pastor Harley Keck used to call it baby fat. When you first get saved, God gives you baby fat. It's nothing but, sometimes, not always, but more often than not, it's all like blessing, 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 blessing. You're sucking that colostrum. Can you tell our kids are kind of still young? Whatever it is, it's like, oh, that's good. And you're still going to fuck cheeks and you're as cute as anything. And everyone's just pinching you and loving on you. And then one day, man, out of the blue, I don't know what happened on that Sunday morning, but you pooped or they pooped or something happened. And it's just, that place doesn't smell as nice anymore. You know, people don't smell as nice as they used to. You go greatly afflicted. You know, the the problem is not the affliction. It's not the affliction per se, the problem. We know that because the psalmist also says, um, it is good that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. The problem is not the affliction. The problem is what happens next, is how you react to the affliction. Whether a new Christian or an older Christian, you know, uh, I think it was Brother Doug Fisher, he says, new, new levels, new devils. Look how he reacts. In verse 11, I said in my haste, All men are liars. All of them. You ever heard that? All the pastors are just, they look nice. But when you scratch under the surface, I'll tell you they're all bad. All the Christians are hypocrites. All the churches are apostate. Ask me, man. You're still in the pink clouds phase, <laughs> let me tell you. That's what my colleague at work at a Christian rescue mission he used to call it the, he says, pink clouds, George, pink clouds. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, when you first get saved, you get into this line of work, you're in the ministry. I started in ministry in a rescue mission. I was so excited to be in the ministry. Pink clouds, George, everything is nice and cozy now, but you wait. And then one backstab after another, one lie after another. The counselor that got me in, he was leaving, I was coming into his place. He said, George, do you know how to know when men are lying? Well, the guy's been in a mission. I'm like, you know, I'm ready to pull out my notepad here and take some notes. He says, Brian DuPont, if some of you remember. Like, if their lips are moving. <laughs> That's how I reacted. That's exactly how I reacted. <laughs> yeah, Brian, come on. And then month after month, it just began to dawn on me. My God. He <laughs> wasn't kidding. And I remember a colleague of mine, he would go like this. And I looked at him and I said, what's that? He said, George, that's one more layer of innocence ripped right off of you. <laughs> and I'd walk in another day and some, some other thing had happened. And he'd just look at me with a big smile and go, <laughs> yeah, 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 I got it. <laughs> I said in my, but, but look, look, I said in my haste. That was too quick of a reaction. You got so hurt that you figured, if all those best people could really be that bad, then everybody's like this. Everybody's bad, everybody's hypocrite, everybody's deceiving me, and they're really not better than I am. That was a hasty, hasty reaction. You're going to be disillusioned with the people. If you're going to walk with the Lord long enough, you will be disillusioned with the people. That's going to happen. You know, Jeremiah himself was disillusioned. He, he went, the Lord 
sent him to preach. He preached repentance. The poor of the land did not repent. So Jeremiah says, okay, okay, I got it. Okay, 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 I got it. It's the poor of the land. You know, they don't know the law. A bit of a pharisaical attitude there. They're not the educated, sophisticated, cultured kind. So Jeremiah says, I'm going to go to the rich. He says, surely these are a poor. They are foolish. For they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. I will get me unto the great men. The big shots, the big names of Christianity, the big pastors, the deacons, the elders, the missionaries, the people that have served. And will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. And then he realizes, but these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Jeremiah was disillusioned. And few things will test your mettle like disillusionment. Where you thought this is the best thing ever, these are the best people ever. And you've come to realize that Really, they're not all that different. Whether wrongly or rightly, that's what you're thinking. Look at me in First Kings chapter 18. Let me show you a guy who got disillusioned with the people. And that will work if you're a pastor, if you're a Christian. First Kings chapter 18, some encouraging messages. I thank God that I've heard this week that I needed to, to hear to keep going in the ministry. Look in First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18. This is Elijah, a passage that has often been preached on, but you know that I don't believe the mine, this mine has been exhausted of its gems. You know what's been happening, it hasn't, hasn't rained for three and a half years, Israel's uh, worshipping Baal, and then Elijah now gets on his knees, and he has just challenged the people of Israel to a contest by fire, and God has brought down fire from heaven. Listen, <laughs> they were worshipping Baal, there's no rain for three and a half years, he challenges them to a contest, they cut themselves and they call on to Baal and nobody answers. Then when Elijah gets on his face, he repairs the altar of the Lord. And he says, he says this, says, Lord, answer my prayer. Consume the sacrifice that this people may know that thou hast turned their heart again to you. And he had told them, how long will ye halt between two opinions? If, the, if Baal be God, then worship him. If the Lord be God, then worship him. And sure enough, the fire came down. Not only did the fire come down, the people started saying, the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And then there was a real revival. They took, depending on how you read it, possibly 850 prophets of Baal and slaughtered them. And on top of it, there was now a little cloud the size of a man's hand coming on the horizon. Finally, there was going to be rain after three and a half years. Now, put yourself in Elijah's shoes. How are you feeling right now? I mean, this is it. We've, Israel has been as bad as I could be. This is it. This is the revival I've been dreaming about and praying about. I mean, God answered from heaven and the people are saying, this is the real deal. Not only are they confessing with their mouth, they are following it with works of repentance by slaying the prophets of Baal. And God has also confirmed His promise by sending rain. Surely now there will be a revival. And for the longest time, I couldn't figure out what happened next. It took a few years to start to get some light on what happens next. I mean, just this thing is mind-blowing. He runs, he runs to Jezreel. Look in verse 44 of 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 44. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. The servant tells him, and Elijah, and he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile, 
that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab, or Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Faster than the chariot. By the way, guys, if you're interested, the flash is based on Elijah. Really. I've got a whole message on superheroes in the Bible. He outran the Hulk as Samson. All that stuff is a ripoff from, from the Bible, okay? He outran the chariot of, of Ahab. Now, think with me. This is, do you remember that three and a half years ago, that same king Ahab is looking for Elijah through every nation and kingdom so he can slay him? And God himself had told Ahab, go and hide. He goes and he hides by the brook Kareth at one point. Then he goes with the, with the widow woman. Uh, Elijah's hiding because Ahab wants to kill him. This is the exact opposite. Now Elijah is running towards the very capital of the very king that had been seeking to kill him. You know why? Revival. They've repented. I don't have to hide anymore. And Ahab saw, the king saw, man. The fire came down, the water came down. And now Elijah is joyfully, gleefully running like, we got it, that's it, that's a revival. Here's the answer to prayer. He walks into Jezreel, and Jezebel's reaction, if you remember what she tells him, in chapter 19, verse 1. Chapter 19, verse 1, the verse right after, 19.1, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all, that means beside that, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. I know we say, you know, he ran away from a woman. But listen, if, 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 if Hillary Clinton had 600 people looking for you to kill you, you would also run away. Okay? I mean, give Elijah a little break. He's running from the swords and the guns. Okay? He's, I don't care who's on the other side of the gun. I'm listening to the gun. Fair? Okay? But you know why? He gets in there and he realizes nothing's changed. They're still ready to kill me. I can't believe it. I mean, what do you do at that point? I mean, what do you do? What do you do at that point? I fasted. I prayed. I challenged them publicly. Fire came down from heaven, consumed the altar. They said, the Lord, he is the God. They slew the prophets of Baal. God sent rain. And I ran faster than a chariot supernaturally. God led me here supernaturally. Here I am. And Jezebel says, kill him! And everybody's like, ah! And they're running after him. Can you understand why Elijah would be completely disillusioned with the people? Ah, he didn't really get saved. He just think he got saved. That wasn't a real revival. Just give him a couple of weeks and you'll see. He's, he's just, he's done. He's bitter. I mean, what, what? you're not going to have a greater revival than this. And despite it all, he got no results at the end. I can understand him a little bit, can you? Where does he end up in verse 4? He ends up in the wilderness. In verse 4, but he went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. If you're not careful, that disillusionment with the people of God will uh, lead you to the wilderness. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, one of the things you have to fight is you, get, you love people. You really do. You get attached to them. I mean, here's somebody. They got saved. They're on fire for the Lord. But you've seen that before. You've seen them get right before. 
You've seen them get on fire for the Lord before. You've seen them love you and love the church before. And you've seen them inexplicably walk out for some utterly mundane reason. And the next time somebody comes in, you're not as excited anymore because... And that can really take a toll on you because how am I going to invest my heart one more time and my emotions one more time and suffer that heartbreak one more time? If you're not careful, that'll lead you to the wilderness. I, I thank God, you know, a lot of good messages. But uh, it was kind of in the vein of pa- Pastor Knox. That, that was, that's really helpful, what he preached there. In verse 5, and, he lay, and as he lay, he slept under a juniper tree. Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And, and he looked, and behold, and there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. You got to appreciate the Lord. You know, he's, thank God. I'm pretty sure the angel of the Lord didn't go, Man, get up, you lazy bum. You know, stay on fire for Jesus. You're supposed to do this for Jesus, not for the people. You know, Paul said, now we live. If you are doing right, for now we live. Paul said, I'm encouraged if you are doing right. I know we do it for the Lord, but let me tell you, we do it for the people too, and there's nothing wrong in that. But if you forget that it's about the Lord first, then you're that trouble. I thank God that the angel of the Lord wasn't tough on him. You know, he baked cake. Cake, I mean, that's like, you know, that's like you wake up and you're waiting for the, you know, and there's like ice cream or whatever you care to have. The Lord gives him cake. Not once. Okay, okay, so I went to the message. I went to the service. I was expecting God to strike me with a bolt of lightning. And here's a comforting message of God saying, I understand you, Elijah. He's going to get me next Sunday, though. And then you go next Sunday, and here's another comforting message. You need the second helping of cake. Amen? you got to appreciate our Lord. But here's the thing, though. Angelic ministration is not a seal of approval. Okay? Angelic ministration is not a seal of approval. It's a seal of, I love you, and I understand, and I'm comforting you. But it doesn't mean, yes, you're supposed to be in the wilderness. It means, I'm going to comfort you, and let's get out of the wilderness. Because you better be careful, because sometimes you think, well, you know, all my life, preacher was saying, if I get away from God, and I get bitter, and I get disillusioned, I'm going to be struck dead. And here I am, God is still blessing me, giving me cake. <laughs> Not one year, two years in a row. Huh? How about that? Huh? They told you there's going to be consequences. No consequences, God's giving me cake. He's blessed me since. Yeah. You know what that means? That means God is good. That's what that means. That's all that means. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're doing good. It just means God is good. He loves you. That's what that means. There's nothing more than that. But is this really the proper place for a prophet? Look in verse 9. And he came thither into a cave. Verse 9. You're all prophets, by the way. You all have the word of God, don't you? And he came hither, thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And what is he doing here, really? David was hiding in a cave because he's fleeing from persecution. What is Elijah doing there? The prophet of God that just killed 850 prophets. What service is he to his people? How is he going to bring, bring him back from a backslidden state? You can't be so disillusioned that you cut yourself off completely. Paul himself 
The cross-reference is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He, he says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must he needs go out of the world. You're not supposed to be that disconnected. He was way too disconnected at this point. You know, when Paul says, Paul told us, if you were going to separate yourself from all the covetous and idolatrous and fornicating people, you'd have no friends. You'd be all alone in the world. Which means, according to Paul, everybody's a hypocrite. Everybody's a liar in some measure. Everybody is prone to causing disappointment in others. You've never caused disappointment in others? I can ask your mom and dad. So he answers him in verse 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So in verse 11, God doesn't answer him at this point. What's your complaint, Elijah? He gives him the complaint. Okay, he listens. Verse 11, he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. If you want to encourage somebody in this situation, thunder and lightning and earthquakes is not the way. Okay, they're broken and they're discouraged and they're disillusioned and they're tired and they're weary. And yelling them back into it is probably not going to do it, at least not at first. Maybe you can try it after a year, I don't know. But at the beginning, do you notice it's cake followed by a still, small voice? A little gentleness. David said, thy gentleness hath what? Made me great. A little gentleness. And it was so, verse 13. When Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And the Lord asked him the same question. Did you see what just happened? You know what drew Elijah back out? The still small voice. You know, try it. Send a, send a nice text message. Completely unexpected. The person that's been hiding from you because they think you're going to judge them and be hard on them and tell them, hey, where have you been? Send them something gentle that they're not expecting. Because it's, it's, it's that gentle voice. Now, he's not back into, you know, prophet of fire Elijah, but he came out of the cave. He came, you know what that is? He crawled out of the basement. Hey, I'll celebrate this. I had a pastor. He was broken once. He spent a, a after... Years on the missionary field, he spent about a year and a half. All he did was just wake up, go to church Sunday, dragged himself, and then went back and just sat in his house the whole week because he was a broken man. I'm telling you, the first time they come out of that basement, let's celebrate that, man. Praise God, man. That's a victory. (laughs) That's a step in the right direction. God says, I'll take it, Elijah. And then he asks him again (laughs) a question. You got to love the Bible. Look at it as an answer in verse 14. And he said, I have been very jealous of the Lord God of hosts because of the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, throw down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. That really sounds like he wrote this thing down. It's the exact thing, same thing repeated twice. You know what that is at that point? Now you're just on autopilot. 
The first time it's like heartfelt. But when you say the thing twice, that long, word for word, every time, that's like your excuse card. Now, where have you been? I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. They have killed thy prophets, slain thine altars, broken down the... You know, wait, I'm, and I want, he's on autopilot now. Now you've said this thing so much that that's all you know how to answer anymore because that's the answer that gets people to shut up. He's still bitter. And Paul tells us at this point he is interceding, not for. He is interceding against the people of God. The very same people he was praying for, now he's praying against. You ever been tempted? My mother tells me sometimes, George, I wish I could pray the imprecatory Psalms. But I know we're in the New Testament. We're in the New Testament. I can't. The imprecatory psalms are all the psalms where like, kill him, let coals fall on his habitation, root out the tongue, and things like that, you know. <laughs> He's interceding against the people of God. You're in a bad place, Elijah, man. I know they, they disappoint you, but you know, they disappointed the Lord. So look at what the Lord's answer, right? You gotta love it. The, the, the backhanded, indirect slap. Verse... Uh, 15, and the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet <laughs> in thy room. Lord, cake, please. I work twice. Let's milk this baby, huh? Right? I don't have to go to church. I can be pouty-lipped. I can be upset and depressed. And God is still good to me. And the Lord says, um, <clears throat> you're right. You're right. I mean, what more can we do, Elijah? You're right. Listen, you can quit the ministry. Uh, you see that young guy there? That up-and-coming young guy? You're the old prophet now, Elijah. Uh, go tell him that he's going to take uh, your place in the ministry. Ouch. He was, I bet Elijah, you know that Elijah never quite does that, eh? <laughs> he kind of does it. He goes and he anoints Elisha, but then it's still Elijah leading around. He can't let go. Lord says, you're right. Quit. I'll use someone else. Oh, suddenly, <clears throat> I feel my spirituality coming back. Yes, Lord, I, it's, well, yes. You know, that, that cake must have done it. I think that's what it is. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'll go do it again. Lord knows how to deal with us, <laughs> I'm telling you. And then he says in verse 17, <clears throat> in verse 18, look in verse 18. Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not yeah. bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. That's God saying, uh, and P.S., they're not all liars. I said in my haste, they're all wicked, they're all liars, they're all fake, there's nobody getting born again anymore. Where they're all given up and they've compromised. The Lord says, oh, this, but this is the P.S. This is like at the very end. Oh, oh but one more thing, Elijah. I've got 7,000, by the way. You're not the only one. I'm not such a poor God that I only got you. <laughs> I'm amazed. I, I, I got excited. I visited my home country of Lebanon last year a couple of times. I'm like, man, Lebanon. You know, I learned all this amazing stuff. 
Western Christianity in North America. I learned the King James Bible. I'm praying. I'm doing things. I'm going to go down Lebanon. And I want to see maybe someday I could do something in my home country. I tell you, man, I went down there and I was put to shame by the stuff that's going on for the Lord. <laughs> you know what I realized? They don't need me, man. I'm going to mess it up. Let me go back. Because the Lord is doing amazing things. I never didn't, had no idea about it. You never hear about it. But he's doing it. He's doing it. All Christians are judgmental. Or, yeah, sure. All, yeah, it's, not, yeah. it's not as though the Lord had not been disappointed by people. But you're going to be disappointed by people. The, John tells us that Jesus Christ did not commit himself unto man. For he knew what was in man. He, I mean, he's, you're going to be disappointed with the people. And you're going to be disappointed too with the pastor. I'll do this one quickly. Amen. You will be disappointed with the pastor. Most of you, this is Wednesday night, and I know most of you and a lot of you are, you know, you know your Bible, and you've heard some excellent preaching over the years. So I won't belabor the point. I'll tell you this. Let me ask you this question. Remember Ahitophel, the counselor of David, who when he counseled, it was as if one asked at the oracle of God. He was basically a prophet. Whatever Ahitophel said, I mean, God said it, right? And when Absalom rebelled against his own father, Ahitophel, King David's right-hand man, most trusted advisor, according to the Bible, he betrayed David and joined the conspiracy of Absalom. Listen, he joined in with a man trying not, not to replace David on the throne. He knows Absalom wants to kill David. And he joins in with Absalom, helping a son to murder his father, his father being the anointed king of Israel. What could transform Ahitophel, not just from somebody who's a friend to neutral, somebody who's a friend who's ready to support the murder of his king? I didn't know this until a few years ago. Somebody mentioned it, and I checked it out, and it just blew me away. The Bible says that when David desired Bathsheba, he asked about her. This is 2 Samuel 11, verse 3. If you're taking notes, I'll just read it for you. 2 Samuel 11, verse 3. The Bible says, And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, uh, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? All right, so she's the daughter of Iliam. 2 Samuel 23, 34 says, Eliphalet, the son of Abishai, the son of the Makathite, Iliam, the son of Ahitophel, the Gilonite. And Ahitophel is from Gilo. Okay, let me put them together for you. Bathsheba is the daughter, the woman with whom David committed adultery. She's the daughter of Eliam. Eliam is the son of Ahitophel. You know what that makes Bathsheba? The granddaughter, the baby granddaughter of Ahitophel. <sighs> okay, I don't know what you've lived in church if you've been uh, saved long enough. I'm sure you've got your sob story. I got my sob story. We can exchange sob stories. How about this? Let's try this one for standard. Okay? My, I'm the assistant pastor. My pastor killed my granddaughter's husband and slept with her. And he's still the pastor. Twice in witnessing, I had a guy, twice, tell, they refused to get saved because they quoted that story about David. Just, I was like, wow, that's a new one on me. They knew about the story and said, I cannot accept that God would forgive David for that. That was the closing argument and why they rejected the gospel. You know. 
You, you ever, I mean, look, it's one thing for God to kind of justly suspend the law of Moses because David is a type of your New Testament salvation. He's got a special covenant that preserves him for all eternity. And God says, well, you're not under the law in a way, kind of credit card payment. I won't kill you, David. That's one thing. But you'd ask him to step down, wouldn't you? I mean, I would vote for the pastor to step down. Do you ever notice that God leads, keeps David as king? That must have worked and gnawed on Ahitophel night after night after night after night after night. He got disillusioned with oh, David, the mighty king, the anointed of the Lord, you know, slaying Goliath, wise and everything, pleasing all the people all the time. And this guy does this to my granddaughter. The, the shock was too much. God help us especially be careful with the young Christians. You gotta be, we have to be careful not to offend them. We really have to be careful. The Bible says in Zechariah, he's asked, what are these wounds in thy hands? He says, these are the wounds which I have received in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. Wounds would offend the little ones. They have a hard time processing. I'm talking about young Christians, okay? It will throw you for a tailspin. Of course, God doesn't condone these things, you understand? David paid through the nose. He ended up like a Judas Iscariot. So, because he goes and he ends up hanging himself. You're going to get disillusioned with the pastor. What do you think he was? He's just a rotten, filthy sinner, just like you. Eh? Yeah. <clears throat> Feet of clay, just like you. I like what Dr. Grady says. He says, he says, we're messed up too, just a little less messed up. <laughs> I thought that's a pretty good way to put it. <laughs> like, that's exactly it, man. <laughs> I should frame that and hang it, you know. But uh, he ends up hanging himself. You know, there's another guy that got disillusioned and ended up hanging himself too. You know what his name was? Yeah, Judas Iscariot. He didn't get us uh, uh, disillusioned with the pastor. He got a disillusioned with the potentate. The only blessed potentate, Jesus Christ. Paul says the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ is called the potentate. You will also, the day will come when you will be disillusioned with God. Look in Matthew chapter 11. Look in Matthew chapter 11. You're going to get disillusioned with God. Matthew chapter 11. Here's somebody that got disillusioned with God, too. Before Judas, we kind of forget about that little one. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Like, hello, I'm the one that announced you to everybody. You're the Messiah. You're supposed to redeem Israel. I was like, the Lord's answer is, Go and tell him, go and tell him, <laughs> go and tell him, I'm raising, the, the dead are being raised, the lepers are being healed, the, those who are devil-possessed are being delivered, but uh, go and tell him that. So I can imagine, I'm John the Baptist, those guys come back and say, um, 
he's fulfilling Isaiah 61. He's preaching deliverance to the captives. He is? Didn't he say, I'm come to preach deliverance to the captives? And no, and no, the Lord says, go and tell them about all the wonderful things I'm doing. And those guys come, it's amazing, John the Baptist. He's got to be the Messiah. You were right, man, because he's raising the dead and healing the lepers. And, oh, visitation time is over. We got to go. And that's, look, I mean, we read them quickly, but that's hard to bear. Yeah. So-and-so prayed, they got healed of cancer. So-and-so prayed, and their kid got right with God. And me, I'm praying, and I'm the one, you know, I'm, you know I thought I was a spiritual one. Don't I get a piece of that? Not, not. Peter, I can understand Peter. You guys know the story. I want to go through it. But, you know, Peter, you have to remember how Peter felt when he, he gets disillusioned. Yes, yes, he denied the Lord. But, you know, the Lord, a few hours before, says, uh, When I sent you, do you don't need anything? No, we don't need anything, Lord. Okay, he says, now... Listen to this. If you don't have a sword, sell your garment and get one. And they're like, Lord, here are two swords. He says, it is enough. All right? So there's a sword. And of course, Peter's got one of the swords. Of course. Yeah. Do you ever wonder about that? I mean, there's two swords. And he happens to be one. Of, who's surprised by that? <laughs> that Peter has one of the two swords. And you know... Those guys come to arrest the Lord, and he lived up. He put his money where his mouth is. He did draw the sword, cut off the guy's ear. He did. He did. And the Lord says, Peter, put down your sword. It's like chastising him like a little kid. You know, that's humiliating in front of people. I'm ready to die for you. You're the one that a few hours ago said, sell your garment and get a sword. And I'm putting where my money where my mouth is. See, I wasn't just talking. Here, I just took a risk for you. And the Lord says, put down the sword. That's embarrassing. You ever get chastised by the Lord publicly for what you thought you were doing right for Him? <sighs> Judas got disillusioned with the potentate too. He's got the bag and he sees the Lord blessing Mary. She's pouring out the ointment and he has the bag. I mean, Again, put yourself in those people's shoes. Here's a man saying, okay, he's the Messiah. We get it. Okay? It's not till John 16 that they start realizing really how much of Jesus is God. And, and he's sitting, and a woman comes in. She breaks a box of ointment, pours it on his feet. She's crying and wiping his feet with her hairs and her tears. And the Lord just uh, sitting there drinking Israeli tea, you know. I mean, I get it. You're the Messiah, but like, uh, am I the only one who thinks this is too much? She, that's her life savings blown out on this. We, we, uh, we asked for, we raised four, uh, I keep coming down in the States, I see these big billboards, you know, about Jesus. I'm like, Canada doesn't have that, at least not Quebec. So one day, we raised $14,000 in 40 days. And we put a huge sign, 14 by 48 foot sign on the busiest highway in Quebec. It said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in French. In French. It was supposed to be up for 28 days. It lasted 36 or something like that. We got, I don't know, a bunch of days free. Oh, that, was, that was the talk of the province. It was on Facebook. Some of the people in our church, the young people, their professors were talking against it. And some of the Christians on Facebook, get this, they said, that was a waste of $14,000 that should have been given to the poor. They got offended about that. And, and I, I said, it's funny because that's what Judas said. And it's the only time I saw an online argument come to an end. It did it, you know. It did it. 
He got offended. I can understand. I'm not saying he's righteous. I can, I, can, I can understand him. Now, Peter also gets offended with the potentate. Yes, that's true. But you know what's the difference? Uh, and I'm, I won't go through the verses. I'm out for time. Here's what the difference is. <clears throat> They're both disillusioned with God. Both Peter and Judas. One goes out to hang himself. But one is close enough to the Lord... And we know that because the Gospels tell us that the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And that cut Peter like a sword to the heart. And Peter repented. He went out and wept bitterly. Notice the difference. Judas is not close enough in his bitterness to the Lord where the Lord can look around and still work some conviction in his heart. God help you if you're out of earshot of Jesus. Peter was bitter. Peter was offended, but he knew enough, I can't go too far. There's a red line that I should not cross. That saved my rump when I was 18, that thought. There's a red line, and Peter is just close enough that the Lord can turn and look at him, and repentance is wrought. You may be disillusioned, don't go too far from the church, don't go too far from the preaching of the sound of the word of God. And last thing I'll tell you, this is my final point, because Judas, by the way, got disillusioned because of frustrated ambition. Eh? Mark that down. That's a sermon on itself, especially when it comes to men. You know what's the hardest thing for us? To, to, to digest frustrated ambition. That's a doozy on men. If God does something different than your ambition. I feel like a perfect fool saying that, but it's, it's, it's the truth. You know? Frustrated ambition. The last thing I'll tell you is this. You'll survive being frustrated with the people and frustrated with the pastor and frustrated with the potentate if you come to the place where you're finally disillusioned with Peter. And by Peter, I mean you. And me. God, deliver the church and the ministry from people who have never come to be disillusioned with their own selves. You've never disappointed yourself. You never did something. You woke up and you realized, I thought I could never do this. I could never be that. But here I am. You must get there where you see that you're also one to have failed others. You hear a lot of preaching, oh, the people are like this, the people are like this. Guys, I've let people down. I've disappointed people. They looked to me and they didn't find what they expected to find. I've had to say, I'm sorry. You've never had to do that? You know, one of the reasons we can swallow disillusionment with other people is because I come to realize, this is difficult, man. I, I failed there. I can understand the failure. I'm not excusing it, but I can understand it because I've seen, I've come face to face with my own weakness. People have a hard time, people who get so disillusioned with the people of God and with the God, it's because they've never been disillusioned with their own selves. Peter had to come to the place where he himself denied God and finally was... I'm, what's your opinion about that? I got no opinion. Nothing. I got nothing to say. 
Psalm 116, and we're done. Get disillusioned with yourself. But, not to the point of worldly sorrow, where you go out and you hang yourself like Judas. Disillusioned unto godly sorrow, which worketh repentance. And the Lord will rebuild you and sustain you And you will go out with a lot more compassion and gentleness on people and with a lot lower standards and expectations for others. You want to be happy, lower your expectations for others. Psalm 116, verse 12. After he has said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. They're all crooked. They're all apostate. They're all wrong. I'm not going to church again. I can't trust anybody again. They're all like that. There isn't a good one among them. Psalm 116, verse 12. God has restored the psalmist, and he asks, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. You see, we're back where he started. He was talking about calling upon the name of the Lord. He's back to praying. I will pay my vows unto the Lord. Now where? In the presence of all his people. Didn't he just say all men are liars? But the Lord has restored him. He said, Lord, I promised you. I got over it, and I'm going to keep my vow. And he comes back right in the middle of the liars. And he says, hey, liar, I'm a liar too. How are you today? Until you day, and you do that, you pay your vows unto the Lord in the presence of all his people. How long? Verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Until you die. And may you take this word tonight not with the sound of thundering rebuke and earthquake and fire, but as it was meant to be delivered and as God spoke to Elijah, the sound of a still, small voice. Thank you.